0: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
1: Hey guys, today's episode is the last main episode this season. But don't worry, we're back again next week with a new Radio Rental Rewind. We go behind the scenes and dissect some of this season's weirdest stories. Also, do you have anything you want to ask Terry Carnation? Call the Radio Rental store and leave a voicemail. 404-857-0031. 404-857-0031. Again, that's 404-857-0031. If you're lucky, maybe Terry will answer it. Also, next week, we're announcing the winners of the Real Life Radio Rental VHS tapes. You can still enter the contest by simply leaving a rating and review for the podcast. Or if you've already done that, you can simply tweet about the podcast with the hashtag Radio Rental. If you think you have your own Radio Rental story, we'd love to hear it email us at yourscarystory at gmail.com. That's yourscarystory at gmail.com. Please include where you're from in your contact info. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show.
2: Surprise! congratulations you are a 100th listener huzzah you did it congratulations you win a prize yes a prize Let, let's see here need a need a prize would you would you like this stapler no no I actually I actually need that how about this surgical face mask which was a promo from the release of contagion number one film in America. How would you like this saw six lollipop? Or this promotional condom from the seed of Chucky? Or how about you get a whole season of radio rental absolutely free? It's the least I could do for my favorite patron. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert, there is no prize. I. Didn't think it through, I'm just too excited. I'm too excited to move on to this next story, this next scare. Are you ready? Of course you are. Otherwise you'd be listening to Joe Rogan right now. Ooh, this one's a bit dusty. That's a good sign. Or maybe it's not. Either way, it's the one you'll be listening to next. Take it away, VHS machine.
3: around seven or eight. We lived in this really old farmhouse, small town, Indiana. It was a very, very old house. The house was built in the late 1800s. The house has been in my family for a very long time. It was purchased back in the 40s and my grandfather used it for his farmhands. His farmhands and their families lived there. Across the street was a barn that we had in our family for a long time. There were pigs and cows. It was out in the country, I really loved living there because we had all the farm animals, trees and rivers and rocks, and it was just a really cool place to grow up. I was absolutely terrified of horror movies as a kid. I was definitely a scared child. I don't think that I ever intentionally watched scary movies, but... You know, you'd catch clips here or there, and I remember watching Ghostbusters and just being absolutely terrified by the pink sludge coming up from the bathtub. I'd see, like, a movie cover, and it would be a gremlin coming out of a toilet. And those things always stuck with me. I was terrified of various things that I'd seen, you know, on movie covers. So I definitely had a lot of fears as a kid. It was an absolutely gorgeous old house, but it was showing its age. There was a lot of creaking and cracking and just house settling sounds. When I was so young, I I interpreted that as probably ghosts. It was an absolutely gorgeous house and I have great memories there, but it was definitely scary growing up in an old house like that. I remember I had a bedroom on the second floor. My parents were on the first floor. It was just scary being on the second floor as a little kid. I had a lot of nightmares. I had a fear of someone being under my bed. I had this fear that there was someone or something in the attic that was next to my room. So there was my bedroom, and then right next to it, there was another bedroom. But it led into an unfinished space, which was uh, kind of angled with the ceiling rafters there. And it was just this foreboding place that I was absolutely terrified to go. And I don't know why I had it in my mind that there was something living there. Something bad was going to happen if I went near that attic. It was just really scary being up, you know, away from my parents in, in this room all by myself. My brother was across the hall, but I was just there by myself. And I think a lot of the fears that I had just sort of manifested, you know, being alone and, and being alone with my thoughts up there one night, there was a really bad storm. My bed was positioned in this nook between the wall and where the end of the chimney would have been. There was a window right next to it. If there was a thunderstorm, it was very, very loud and it was very scary because it was right there next to me. It was an absolutely terrible storm. The rain was pounding on the windows. There was thunder, there was lightning, the trees were shaking. It was just a lot of sounds, a lot of sounds from every direction. I was laying in bed. I remember looking up and seeing something on the walls. What is that? It was this dark red staining just coming down the wall. Individual streams coming down off of the ceiling. Is this real? Is this imaginary? Is this something that I just made up in my head? I didn't know if it was real. I remember staring at it, intently. It wasn't something I wanted to block out. It was something I felt like I had to look at. I didn't want to close my eyes. I just wanted to figure out what it was. I just had to experience it. I had to figure out what it was. It looked like blood, blood running down the walls. I was terrified. It was definitely a process where I was waking up and trying to piece it together in my mind. This can't be real. It's not what I think it is. It can't be blood. It can't be what I think it is. It's not happening. It's not happening. This is a dream. It was like all of my nightmares were coming true. It was the color of blood. It was the consistency of blood. It was blood running down the wall.
1: Imagine being a kid. You're in your room alone. It's dark, it's storming. It's the landscape of your worst fears. You've been told there's no such thing as monsters, but then your worst Stephen King-esque nightmare comes to life. Blood is oozing down your walls, and it's definitely not a dream.
3: There were quite a few times where I'd gotten out of bed to get my parents because I wanted to sleep downstairs or I didn't want to go to bed or I just didn't want to be in my room. I knew I would be in big trouble if I got up. So I stayed there and I forced myself to stay in the bed even though I was terrified. I just remember feeling paralyzed. I was paralyzed with fear looking at this blood. I just, I didn't know what to do. So I woke up probably pretty early and went and got my parents. You know, there's a scene in It, the movie It. One of the characters, she can see the blood in the bathroom but none of her family can. She's the only person who can see the blood. Maybe it was like a hallucination. Maybe it was something that only I could see. I wondered if it was something that I was making up or that it wasn't really there. I remember bringing my parents in and they could see it too. When we figured out what it was, it was a funny story. We figured out that it was the bricks that were disintegrating and they were forming like a sludge in the rain. Over the years, these bricks uh, deteriorated. When it had this big rainstorm lots and lots of water, it formed sort of a a sludge. That sludge, that dark red sludge, was running down the walls and it made it look like blood. My parents thought it was hysterical. (laughs) I mean, it was terrifying at the time (laughs) until I knew what it was. It was definitely a, a funny story after that.
2: Not the way I'd choose to wake up. Personally, I like to awaken to the robust smell of French press coffee in the morning. Maybe some eggs, capers, cilantro, a little leftover barbecue, a fresh-baked yeasty baguette. Oh, damn it, I'm hungry now. Okay, what were we talking about again? Oh, probably ads again. I guess this is as good a time as any. Here we go, I've got one right here.
1: If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
2: Are you tired of normal everyday meal prep? Are your survivalist skills lacking in today's unpredictable environment? Then may I suggest the newest fad in boxed meal kit delivery services, Farm in a Box. Farm in a Box returns us to our roots as carnivorous heathens and seed-sowing harvesters. Anyway, this box thing has all the components necessary to help you live off the land Each month, Farm in a Box will send you a live animal of your choice, and a bag of assorted seeds, and no instructions. How delightful, the stakes are high and quite tasty if you choose the cow option. Finally, your children will know where their food comes from. A cardboard box. Farm in a Box, breaking down meal prep into its base elements since mid-March 2020. Excellent ads, all of them. Very, very good ads, indeed. You've never heard such ads before, have you? That I can tell you. Thank you, ad people. Oh, they are very good people with very good ads. Now, all that aside, let's continue with our next story.
4: It was a Friday night. At the time, my husband had just started a job where he was traveling a little bit more than standard. I had nothing else to do, and I had a friend that was mentioning going out. I was a little bit bored being home. I wanted to go out and do something, have some fun. I get dressed up, new shoes, all excited, ready to go. As I was driving down there, it was kind of hitting me that this is the first time I've gone out without someone with me. In years, there's a specific alternative club that we prefer to go to. And the area that it's located in used to have a reputation of being a bit more dangerous. It wasn't like every night or anything, but it was enough that you kind of kept your guard up. I parked, I make the walk there, and I make eye contact with the parking attendant for the staff parking, wave, say hello, make sure I'm seen. I walk in and it's packed, like I can't remember the last time I've seen it that busy. The bartenders were just hustling, they were super busy. As I'm walking upstairs, I'm kinda taking a look around to see if I know anyone. So I'm going with the flow and I start to make my rounds and I notice that there is this blonde woman who is clearly smashed and she is draped, and that's the only word I can think of to properly explain how she was on this guy. She's draped on him. She's clearly trying to go for a kiss and he's not paying attention to her. I just remember thinking how weird it was. While this woman isn't necessarily my type, objectively speaking, she was a very pretty woman. The hair was done up, the makeup was done up, and here's this guy, he's not paying attention to her. My first thought was, okay, well maybe he's a designated driver. He's let her go off and, and have her fun. That's the reason why he's not responding the way that you would expect. I'm not one to judge. She turns to me and asks if I could take a picture of her and him. And I take the phone and she told me, it's my birthday today. I'm like, oh, happy birthday. She's like, it's his birthday too. As soon as I'm done taking the picture, she says, I just met him. It's his birthday, it's my birthday. We're birthday twins. That something was just a little bit off, but I talked it up to just me being by myself for the first time. It's like, cool, happy birthday to you too, man. Here's the phone back. He thanked me, he said, let me get you a drink. Something wasn't clicking. I was like, no, I'm, I'm okay, I don't need a drink. My husband is getting off of work and he should be meeting me here soon. He's like, no, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, for taking the picture. It's a picture, man. It's like holding the door for someone. You don't, you don't usually pay people. He sounded almost like he was just saying the words. I know I have to say these words. I'm going through the motions, not really putting my all into it. It just didn't make sense. He's chit chatting with me, and I'm talking to him, and my anxiety levels creeping up more. I, I knew he was going to take no for an answer. He was just going to keep throwing out that let me get you a drink, let me get you a drink. So finally, I say, I can't drink. I'm on antibiotics. Oh well, let, let me get you a water then. Fine, I'll take a bottle of water. I knew as soon as he walked to the bar, I was like, okay, I'm going to need to to get myself out of this situation. I'm going to. Extract myself as naturally as possible. So I pull out my phone and I pretend to, to check it. Like, oh, my friends are here. Better go find them. He <laughs> Comes back to the bar and he hands me the drink, which is supposed to be a water, but it is definitely in a tumbler glass. The only time in this club you ever going to get a, a tumbler glass is if it's a mixed drink. There's liquor in it. When you get a water, it always comes in a water bottle that's sealed. He hands me the glass of water, and before I can even say this isn't how water comes, he turns around and he walks off. Nice talking to you. Have a good day. So I walk into the women's room, and I, and I look at this glass, and I swear there's like this, this pink tinge to it. I dumped the thing down there. I I didn't even return it to the bartender. I just put it on the sink and uh, I headed down the stairs looking for a way out. It felt like I was late for something almost where I don't have time to wait, just go. All my senses just kind of narrowed. The sense of foreboding and sense of something's not right felt like this ever increasing buzz in my head. It was like this noise that just kept ramping up and up saying danger, 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 go. I need to get to the car. I need to get that car locked. The moment my my foot hit the sidewalk and I'm officially away from the club this voice in my head just as clear as day just goes oh you messed up. You messed up bad. That voice was so serious. It sounded scared. It sounded like it was trying to stay calm to keep me calm, but it was terrified. And I have no idea what this voice is. It was technically my voice, but it wasn't my thoughts. And I'm starting to question, I'm like, what is this? What's going on? Explain it to me. And it responds with, you messed up. And you've got one chance to get out of this. We don't have time. Get your keys out of your purse, get them in your hand, and get to your car. And I remember asking it, should I turn around? And it responds, nope, you don't have time for that now. You've got one shot here. I'm walking and I'm focused on what's in front of me and that voice is talking in my head saying, don't look around, don't talk to anyone, keep your eyes straight. They're coming, they've got eyes on you, just get to the car. It felt like this voice knew exactly what was going on. It had access to information I did not have. It did not want me to show my hand and let this unknown danger know that I knew something was off as if it was guiding me as if it had like some kind of scripted plan of what was going to happen next and this is how we're going to respond to it and one step at a time
1: call it intuition a sixth sense sometimes in situations of peril people describe a feeling of overwhelming focus and clarity in this case a voice commanding omniscient urgent it warns you of the danger
4: two blocks. It takes no time at all to walk these two blocks. And I see this car that's parked the wrong way. I remember looking at that car and saying, is that the danger? Is that why I'm freaking out so bad right now? And that voice says, nope, but the driver's gonna a cat call you. Ignore it, don't respond to it, don't take time, act like you didn't hear, just keep walking. I get to this car, there's a driver sitting there and he said something about my skirt. I didn't even look at him, I just had straight eyes forward, kept walking. Somehow this voice knew that this was not an important thing to focus on. That panic that had been increasing throughout the night was near deafening. I'm not sure if I would've heard footsteps behind me at this point because of how loud this rushing noise was in my head. It was, you know, my heart must've been pounding. I somehow knew that the danger was going to be behind me. I wanted to turn around and see what it was that was freaking me out so bad. And that voice is like, do not turn around. Do not look. Do not hurry, but hurry. Don't run, but walk as casually and quickly as you can to your car. Do not detour. I'm heading toward my car. I'm about to get to the darkest part of this walk. I remember just feeling like I was taking a big breath and jumping into a pool of water or something. And I've got my keys out and that voice, which was clearly trying to stay calm for me, is starting to ramp up. This is the most dangerous part. This is the make it or break it part. Get in there, go. Don't even worry about being casual now, just go. Then I'm hurrying toward the car. And I get my key in the lock and I turn it. And just as soon as I turn it and I start to open the door is when this car pulls up from behind me and and into the spot that was directly behind me. He's facing the wrong way, and he's pulled in at an angle that has him still half in the street. And as soon as I see this car, the voice said, that's it, that's the danger. I've got the door open, My heart's going, my adrenaline's up, I can't hear anything. That voice is rapid fire, giving me directions. Get in the car, close the door, lock it, lock it, lock it, lock it. Hitting this lock as many times as I can to make sure that all the doors are locked, not just my driver's side, but all of them. And I'm shoving the key into the ignition. That voice in my head is saying, he's here for you, you need to go. As I'm backing up, I can see him getting out of the driver's side. I pulled back as far as I could go, throw it into drive, cut in the wheel as far as I can go. As I'm turning the car, I can see him coming up to the passenger side door, trying to open it. And I see just this one fist outside of the window, and he's, he's clenched it, just this angry fist. Whoever he was, whatever he wanted, he came for you. He got up his car as you got to yours, and he got in his car the moment you left. There's no other reason for him to have been there. The ride home was surreal because I'd spent the last hour having this buzz of panic and adrenaline pump up and pump up and pump up up into the point where it was almost deafening. And I've got this voice directly talking to me. The moment the driver was out of sight, I pull off to the main road, I get on the highway. It was so quiet. It's weird to have that voice in your head speaking to you for a full minute and then quiet as if it didn't happen. Humans, in general, have a lot more senses than they realize they have. We take in a lot of information from our surroundings and often we're not aware of how much we're taking in. I think on some subconscious level, parts of us start putting things together that we may not be consciously aware of. I think that voice was still very much me, but I think it was a part of me that doesn't normally speak up. I don't think it's a guardian angel, I don't think it's some kind of supernatural being that was watching over me because there's so many other people out there that should have rightfully had a guardian angel and I, I'm just one of many. I think that my subconscious picked up a lot of information that to this day I am not aware of and was able to put together pieces that I was not able to consciously put together. I can't explain as to why it coalesced into an actual voice that had a conversation with me. I'm glad it did though. I think if I didn't have that voice giving me clear directions on what to do next, I would have felt the need to investigate, to find out, why are you feeling like this? Let's go look around, let's go see. I would have walked myself right into some situation that I wouldn't have been able to walk myself out of. It's okay to be a little bit paranoid. And if that feeling is in you, if you start getting a gut feeling that something's wrong, don't bother with rationalizing it. Just listen to it, just go.
2: Alas, the time we've dreaded has finally arrived. It's the final tape for this season of Radio Rental. Oh, it has been fun, it has been harrowing, and it's induced more than a few nightmares, I'm sure. Your patronage of the thriller genre, your support of the weird has been admirable. You, my friend, are bizarre for choosing this, and isn't bizarre a great thing to be in this world of forgettable bores? Thank you, my fellow bizarre ones for all of it. Now, the last tape. Drum roll, please. Oh, that was was lame. Well, drum roll, please. No drum roll, seriously? Okay, fine. Just put in the tape. Just, let's go, let's go. Last story, here we go.
6: My aunt and my uncle had kind of an eclectic room in their house with a lot of cool stuff in it. They had a phone booth. It was all wood-framed and glass and the bifold doors with a bench in it. There was no phone in it, there was just an empty box where the phone would have been. But when you closed it, the light and the fan came on. And it reminds me of something like at the back of a, like a saloon or something like that. When I was a little kid, like probably no more than five or six, I used to play in it all the time. And I always wanted to go in there, when we'd go to my aunt's house. My mom and my aunt are really close, and so we were there quite a bit. We would go over there with my grandmother, spend the evening, catch up, and I think they would play dice. My aunt's sons were a lot older than me, so I didn't really play with them, so I didn't have much to do. It was just me. And so I would just play in the phone booth. (laughs) The, The first thing that I really remember I think I was like 87 or 88, so I was probably about 9 or 10. Me and my cousin, that was closest in age to me, we used to play in the yard. We were just playing outside and it was just kind of dusky. And we were just tossing a big softball that my grandma had in the garage back and forth. He tossed it a little high and it went over my head and down the side yard into the back. Her yard was fenced in completely by like an old rusty chain link fence. The alley behind it was all overgrown weeds and bushes and things like that I headed to the back to get the ball and before I actually got to the edge of the fence I could hear like a rustling sound I got a little closer and I saw saw some movement it had like a like a brownish colored fur so I thought a dog or something like that's back here and then the closer I got I realized it was bigger it was vaguely human-shaped, like like a like a man laying down, and I could see the the hands holding onto the chain-link fence. It had a long snout and pointier ears, and it was just sort of dragging itself down the alley. In my ten-year-old mind, I'm. And I'm thinking, like, it's a monster. So I froze and kind of stared at it for, for what seemed like a long time. It was probably just a few seconds. And then I ran up front, and got my cousin, and said, hey, look, there's something crazy in the alley back here. I'd seen something weird, and he wanted to see it. And we went back there and peeked over the fence. And it took us a few minutes to get back there. And then by the time we got back there, there was nothing. I don't think I really thought much more about it until the next time I remember having an experience. I think I was probably a a sophomore in high school. My routine was getting home from school, grabbing something to eat, and going in my room and laying down before I did homework or before I went out or anywhere or did anything like that. And I always just chalked that up to hormones, like I was just always tired. I was laying in bed, I just, I felt like I wasn't alone. And I remember it was dark in my room and it was dark outside, but my bedroom door was slightly open so that there was some light from the rest of the house coming in so it wasn't like pitch black. But I just, I felt like I was, I had, was being observed. I thought my parents were in my room at first. Then I realized that it was several of these creatures. It felt very dreamlike to me, thinking back on it. There were at least three or four of them, very tall. I laid there for for maybe a minute or so, Just, just my eyes closed. Then when I opened my eyes, they were gone. It was just, I was just having a dream or a nightmare or something. Some sort of bizarre teenage hormone dream or something weird like that. It didn't feel like a dream it didn't feel like a dream it felt real i felt very real i felt like they were physically in my room i, I felt like i was being observed i felt like i was being watched and i was left with that with that feeling when i think about it now even i get like kind of a kind of an eerie feeling it was just what were they doing why were they why were they standing there staring at me while i was sleeping i didn't feel like a dream but it, it had to have been There's no way that that there were these three or four animals, or dog people, in my room. 2005, but I worked at Borders Bookstore. I had a bunch of friends and we would always go to a restaurant right in the same shopping center after work sometimes. On nights that I didn't work, if there were a few people going out, we'd drive up there and, and have a few drinks with them or grab dinner. Gary and I, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, Gary and I drove up there and met some of our friends. We didn't stay very long, maybe a beer or two. I think we had just some appetizers and things like that. Just unwound a little bit. We headed home. We were driving down this long country-ish road, a lot of woods on the side. And a few blocks before we got to our house, I noticed that there was something in the road. And we were just still chatting, just going through our conversation. And I started to slow down, and then as I was slowing down, he noticed that I was slowing down, and then he noticed what I was looking at, and he stopped talking too. And so we were sitting there in silence. It was misty out, just a little foggy. By this time, I had stopped completely. I was at a dead stop. Was on all fours, like a dog long snout and the pointy ears it stood up on its hind legs it had human arms and torso but its legs bent like a dog kind of looked in our direction a little bit and then it was just sort of not there anymore did we really see that was that really there and i said tell me what you saw and he described exactly what i said to you exactly what I had seen. It was there, I was there and I saw it. Maybe the thing in the alley was just an injured animal of some sort and by the time my cousin and I got back there, it was just gone. It went on its way or it dragged itself away or maybe it died and we just weren't hearing it anymore. Maybe it was in the heavy underbrush. The things in my room were just a dream. A hormonal teenager just having weird dreams. The only one that I can't explain the only one that I that I that I can't really rationalize is the one in the street. If Gary and I both said, oh, well, we saw something, he described exactly what I saw before I said anything to him. Exactly what I saw. It was a it was a a dog person. Maybe I'm creating it all in my mind. Maybe I maybe my, my mind is so powerful that I projected that thing onto the street and both Gary and I saw it. Sometimes I sit and I think about it and I'm like, man, this is really weird. (laughs) Like, this is not normal. Every time I've seen them, they've felt physical. I don't have a a good answer. And so that's always like an empty spot for me. I've had people tell me, that's not, you're making that up. Cool story, bro, you know, you sit around a fire and you're trying to scare us. You don't have to believe it. That's usually when my husband is like, B.S., I saw it. (laughs) It was there. After I was thinking about it, thinking about all the incidents from when I was at my grandmother's house and then at my parents' house and then what we saw in front of our house, I thought of something, and I thought that it might have something to do with it. The phone booth, maybe this is related somehow. I don't know what made me think that, but I just felt like it was. I don't have a, a clear start to finish of why that popped into my head. The phone booth popped into my head and and I called my mom and I said, hey, remember that phone booth at Aunt Nancy's house? And she said, yeah. What what did I tell you that I was doing when I was in there? And she was like, well, you were a kid, so it was nonsense. You know, you would just go in there and you would sit on that bench and talk to yourself and just giggle and play. And it was like a built-in babysitter and we don't have to worry about what you were doing. (laughs) Just left in the phone booth for an hour. And then I just kept pressing, you know, like, can you think of anything, anything that I said when I, when I was in there, anything that I said when I came out, any, anything, anything. And she, of course, asked why, what is this 30 years ago? What are we, do? <laughs> who cares? Then I think I said something along the lines of something, something happened, not bad, don't worry, but I'm trying to just piece some stuff together.
1: As kids, we fear the things that go bump in the night. But what if those monsters followed you, appeared again and again throughout your life? you might be able to justify it if you were alone. Maybe you're just seeing things, it's your imagination. But when another person sees it too, how do you rationalize that? Maybe an hour
6: later, my mom called me back and she goes, I remember, I remember. She used to go in there and when you would come out, you would say that you went to visit the puppy people. My blood ran cold, it just, I felt chills. I felt shocked. I, I knew there was something that I was trying to get out of this, but I, I don't think I expected that. I didn't tell her anything about why I was asking. I had never told her anything about what happened in my bedroom. I never told her anything about what happened till right then, until what happened with Gary and I, where we saw it on the road. So I didn't, like, coach her or anything like that. So then I told her the story about what happened. She's not superstitious or anything like that, so I think she was like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, like, she just wasn't, I don't know if she doesn't believe me, but I think that she thinks that it's more like a dream you had, or you had these weird things, and you and Gary were imagining something together, you know, just, it looked, it looked so similar that you guys thought you saw the same thing. Maybe that's maybe that was just the start of my imagination. Maybe it was just you know I was just imagining all this stuff and then dreaming about it and 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 projecting my thoughts from when I was a kid onto this poor injured animal in the alleyway. Then we get to adulthood with that experience and I I don't have a I don't have a good uh, the whole puppy people thing kind of just raises more questions like I don't have a reason that I can just brush that one off. The other ones can all be explained away you know imagination dreams. It's fascinating to think, at least feel, that we're, you know, we're all going through our lives doing our, our regular everyday stuff, and there's possibly more. There's potentially something just on the other side of the shadow. Just on the other side of, of what we can see. I like to think that there's more. I like to think that there's, that there's just more going on than just us crawling across the face of this planet. We were just accidentally the right distance away from the sun to, to be here. <laughs> we're not burning up and we're not freezing to death and here we all are. We've evolved to this. but I like to think that there's more. I like to think that that we've been visited or that there are other things here that we just that we don't see every day.
2: Ooh, the thrill of it all. spooky. My hair is standing on end. I feel a chill, actually. <laughs> I hope I'm not coming down with something. Oh, damn it. Malachi put the AC down to 59 again. Um, never mind. Anyway, good night, listener. Farewell. Lean into the unexplained. Be open to all possibilities. Our world is full of them. And that's just part of the magic. And we honor all of it here at Radio Rental. Come on, Malachi. Farm in a Box has brought us a goat. Let's make some soup. It's almost time for Conan.
7: Radio Rental is created by Payne Lindsay and brought to you by Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta. Executive producers Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright. Hosted by Rain Wilson as his character, Terry Carnation. Produced by Payne Lindsay, Mike Rooney, and me, Meredith Stedman. Written by Meredith Stedman with additional writing by Mark Laughlin. Sound design by Cooper Skinner. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Additional production by Christina Dana and Mason Lindsay. Cover art by Trevor Eiler and Rob Sheridan. Voice acting by Ryan Jones, Casey Willis, and the Tenderfoot TV team. Shout out to Tiny Doors ATL for the creation of our real-life miniature radio rental store. You can check that out and more on their Instagram at Tiny Doors ATL. Special thanks to Grace Royer and Oren Rosenbaum at UTA as well as support from the Nord Group, Station 16, Beck Media and Marketing, and the team at Cadence 13. If you have a Radio Rental story that you'd like to share, please email us at yourscarystory@gmail.com, at gmail.com or contact us via the form on our website, radiorentalusa.com. Follow us on Instagram at Radiorental. and on Twitter at Radiorentalusa. USA. You can also follow the beloved Carrie Carnation on social media. Just search at Terry Carnation. On behalf of the Radio Rental Store, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review. And don't forget to share our show with a friend of the genre. Thanks for listening.